Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. So what is it to be healed? Is it to... <laughs> and I know that I'm going to make this a rhetorical question. I'm not sure, though, that it really is able to be made <laughs> to be such rhetoric at this particular moment in history, time, because I think the answer has already been more than revealed. But it's still probably worth the exercise and specialized pastoral care, Christian counseling sometimes dictates that we ask a question, maybe it's unfair and that there is already an answer. Uh, it's equally unfair that I hold not only the question, but the answer in advance, and thus <laughs> could always be said to be right. But I think asking the question again, even if it should be one that's been answered well, there's no harm in that, and quite possibly there's going to be a different take on it. Everyone's unique. Every situation is different. The application of the word, though it is universally, uniformly in that manner, word of God, universal in that it would be applicable to any situation or circumstance, uniform in that it is never changing, always the same, even should we read it in different translations, hopefully the meaning would not change. And with that, then, it applies to any person, regardless of their time in history. <laughs> and with that in mind, I'm going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 14, and I'm going to start with verse 6. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about and there they preached the gospel. And who are they? It would be Paul. It would be Barnabas. And there they preached the gospel, verse 7 and verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from birth who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, whose temple was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. That's through verse 13. Now, where is, <laughs> where is the rhetorical question? Where is the rhetorical question when it comes to healing? 
where is it in this passage that I've read you? There is therein a reference to healing, and it would be the entirety of it. In this sense, we have as subject, at least of this passage, a man who has the Scripture tells us, was impotent in his feet, being a cripple from birth, who never had walked. And what was it, as with the subject of this passage, what was it that this subject experienced? (laughs) None other than healing. And would that be a good thing? I would believe most of us would say yes. But I would also then, in that rhetorical sort of way, ask then, would it be better to have been healed or not healed? And again, I've already confessed, I know the answer to the question. We all know the answer to the question. Uh, I am the one who's posing the question, so I'm controlling the entirety of the circumstance. And there you even answer. Quite possibly, you could go in the same direction I've already gone in or went to in even asking the question and having therein then an answer long before you had much of a chance to think about it. And maybe you would be perchance accurate and right. Maybe you wouldn't, but it really doesn't matter. Because I think both are good, (laughs) healing, and then maybe there's something to be said for not being healed. Clearly in this passage, the man who was crippled from birth, who had never walked, was glad to be healed. I'm sure there was great advantages, possibly more so in that time, era, than there is today. But in that same sort of a way, I do believe many today, maybe more so than then, would say, no, you're stigmatizing the cripple. (laughs) Even the cripple sounds derogative. Use of the word cripple, disabled. No, there's no such thing as disability except that you would hang a judgment on it. Label it in some ways. Normal versus abnormal. And of course we know in more contemporary references, abnormality is possibly better than being normal. It speaks to uniqueness. It speaks to individuality. It speaks to personage, even. And it speaks in all of that to a more noble aspirational concern that we are prejudiced. (laughs) And all those reference points that we used to see as good (laughs) no longer is. And particularly, I should say that, and particularly... Not as an afterthought, but maybe in a punctuating sort of moment or accentuating sort of moment and effort in moment to call your attention to the fact that the Bible kind of tracks the same way. Perfect. Without blemish. Without anything wrong. Without any scars. Without any sort of degradation 
of, of an ideal of what we would consider to be perfect, that's not bad. Old Testament did not, they, and should not we continue to aspire to perfection. The standard, the thing that is beautiful, <laughs> symmetrical, perfect <laughs> in appearance, But even so, don't we learn very quickly that none could aspire to that, although on an external sort of measure or continuum of measure, there is more or less those individuals that seem perfect, that aren't crippled, that aren't disabled, that aren't abnormal, That would be the perfect size, weight, height, IQ, EQ, would not meet standards of American Psychiatric Association medical disorder when it comes to, particularly, again, the subject matter of the podcast and my professional and ministerial endeavors, pastoral care. We don't call that pastoral care so much, sin and iniquity, malady, sickness, illness, infirmity, disease, disorder. When it comes to the more secular, it's less the pastoral, more the disordered on that continuum of measure. But the American Psychiatric Association has an somewhat exhaustive, I'm sure they would consider it in a contemporary present context, exhaustive, all the known psychiatric and behavioral health, mental health illnesses and diseases. And they've bothered to study them and label them and show distinction. And I'm not minimizing that. If you're practicing psychology, then that's important. Because if you make a diagnosis, you'd want it to be sound. And if you come up with a treatment plan to treat that diagnosis, you'd want it to be sound. And what is soundness based on? It's based on hypothetical reasoning. The research methodology that drives sound empiricism, valid and reliable. It's not that we could say it's entirely truth because I do believe all truth is somewhat relative as with contextual, as with even rhetorical. But there's certain truths that are immutable as you can with God's word. So I would probably prefer to stay in the pastoral Christian counseling realm because there I would find for certain the foundation of the immutable word of God. But if the immutable word of God presents anything, it's that there is no normal (laughs) that we can adhere to, which doesn't mean that there isn't a truth, which doesn't mean that there can't be some element of disorder. It just means we have to begin to understand that we're not the ones, even with highest research methodology in mind. Science, hypothetical reasoning, empirical study will never get it right because what is perfect to God has less to do with the material manifestation and more to do with the intent and desire at the time to which 
of which, in which, we're speaking and measuring. Obviously, for this individual, not being crippled was beautiful, was wonderful, was perfect. And again, possibly, quite possibly, for his time and era, there were less accommodations. There was less of this mindset, this paradigm of celebrating the abnormal and the disabled. And quite possibly, not only was there, were there social stigmas, a social stigma attached to it, but if survival depended upon this individual walking and competing in some measure with those individuals who could walk, this person might be a great disadvantage. Now, fortunately, we're not at that point right now. I'm not saying we could not. Things could not happen in the natural realm of, th- of existence, of things, existence, that would render, again, that to be a great attribute. I can say this, the primary drive, as within, again, physiology and psychology, more secular, medical kind of model, survival is fight or flight. And either one would dictate possibly an advantage to having the ability to walk. But fortunately, that's not what God measures things by in entirety. Although there is certainly some aspect, as with the Old Testament, you should be the best you could be. God has endowed us to be the best we could be. He's given us all things that are necessary to not only life eternal and spiritual realm, most importantly, the pastoral Christian counseling aspect, but even in material existence. And we should celebrate that. And we should not do anything we could do or can prevent, could prevent ourselves from doing or others from doing to ourselves or others that would take away from that. Aspire to be the best you can with what you've been given. Don't lessen the standard simply because you don't want to put in the extra work. (laughs) Or you're not recognizing that fight or flight, survival, even should it be Darwinian, of the fittest probably has some place in material existence. It's just that Darwin's model was incomplete because he did not recognize the pastoral and the spiritual, the Holy Spirit in particular, the godly, the divine, and was relegated to only material existence. In material existence, you can say, well, then it's that person who has the best chance at negotiating the perils a material life, it's going to be the one that's got the best then chance of survival. And that should be something that we'd want to have available if there is any way to pass that down to generations that follow. But the damning, D-A-M-N-I-N-G, component to all of that, even as with material human, as in material sort of conclusion or rationalization, or understanding, intellectual, is that there's no way beyond death. (laughs) For everything that is then seen only in material terms as being alive, it will come to an end. 
because that's what happens in material existence. Oh, you could argue, well, genetically you pass that down. You, yes, there are, again, you can't deny that. There's advantages to be able to jump high, run fast, to defend yourself, to think smart. All those measures of IQ, EQ, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Except it's not sanctified if it's not sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then in the Holy Spirit, what if God wants to move us in a different direction? What if God wants to take us in a different direction? (laughs) Even in material existence. The concept of evolution sort of speaks to the fact that we have to adjust ourselves, not to ourselves, but to a greater picture of the ecosystem, the ecology of the natural world, the environment that we cohabitate, share with other things alive. Whatever we measure that to be in terms of what is alive or what is dead, you have to calibrate that lest it would become all discombobulated and out of sorts and then what might be an attribute now may not be one in the future. Isn't that evolution, at least the Darwinian premise of evolution? But it doesn't stand true when you factor in death, and it doesn't stand true when you factor in eternal life, and with that God, and with that the spiritual dimension of Holy Spirit, life itself, of Jesus Christ. Not that God is not, again, creator of the material, but it is always secondary, the outcome, to his intent. And what would God's intent be? Maybe not to heal us all. Maybe not to remove disorder entirely. Maybe disorder is just part of creativity. Think of it that way. Permutation, as within once more scientific jargon, is really what we believe to be the seed for something different. It's abnormality. It's a mutation. It's different. And even as then we're called to something more, something different, then I would also believe that God in spirit would have already ordained it. And maybe it's just that. To not get caught up in judgment of what is good or what is bad in material context, but rather to see how whatever God would then call good is good. Whatever he would then otherwise bless and sanctify is good, even if it's different. This man that Paul and Barnabas had then encountered and healing bestowed to, this man was a Gentile. He was not perfect according to the Old Testament standard. 
It was a moment of permutation. It was a moment of change. It was a moment of abnormality. It was a moment of something different. It was a moment where disorder might have been considered an advantage. But it was also a moment where for the Gentiles, establishment of order could prove in a more most, not only more, but most tangible way, and even for the Hebrew people. Healing wasn't so that everybody would be healed by the same standard. Healing was so that, as Jesus very much so clearly stated it, to show that the power is there for God to do whatever he would choose to do with whomever he would choose to do it, in whatever manner or fashion, as long as it was, again, according to his will, and we would be blessed to find the advantage in it by direction of the Holy Spirit, should we then understand that premise and then allow God to take care of us. Again, you would not be without. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, As Jesus put it, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't seek what you think is perfect. Seek what God has given unto you in perfection. And what makes it perfect? It's not state dependent, necessarily. It's Holy Spirit dependent. It's Word of God dependent as in now living Word manifestation. It's Holy Spirit dependent. It's what God can do with whatever the expression of material existence is. In that creative dynamic, that creative power to make it new again. Maybe it will be according to what the old was. Maybe it won't. But it doesn't matter as much as we know it is godly inspired. It is by God's proclamation word that it takes place. So when Paul was ministering to the Gentiles, his messaging was, No, you're equal to us. Maybe he didn't even, in his own awareness, yet know that as fully as we do today. The rhetorical aspect of asking that question. Maybe we are advanced in our understanding. Maybe grace and mercy has in that way sanctified us. Forgiveness has sanctified us. Has helped us to see that we cannot then take that judgment of what's right or what's wrong singularly upon our empirical knowledge, our empiricism being experiences. Even what we think it should be, creativity says, whoa, wait a minute, it's probably not going to be exactly how you think it's going to be. But I think the Apostle Paul was part of that sharing that good news to a group of people that had unfortunately fallen into the trap of believing that the material, I guess, lot in life, what they were given, really defines them. 
And then the great divide, the separation between those who have all those attributes in that sort of fight or flight, that sort of primal, primary directive of, oh no, you have to measure this by, does it make your life better? as measured by more life in a material sense? Or is there maybe other factors, or even as we've declared in the podcast today, there is the God factor that we have to take into account. And God is never state-dependent. He is never dependent upon what we have or think we have. He is not bound by anything materially, he can do with it whatever he chooses, however he chooses, and we would all be wise to be able to embrace that message. The Gentiles were beginning to realize the Holy Spirit is in them just like in the Hebrew people. Why did Paul do this? I am pretty confident. Why was this allowed? <laughs> Why was Paul? I should rephrase that. I want to get this correct. Able, capable of doing this. Because the message was not for the sake of the healing itself, but for the sake of the power, not that Paul or Barnabas possessed in the sense of coming out of their personage or their Hebrew, their Jewish heritage, or even the model, the paradigm that the Hebrew people held as with the Old Testament, as with King Solomon being the epitome because we know just because it looks good on the outside doesn't make it good on the inside. What makes it good on the outside is what emanates from within. And the Gentile people had that same power in them. They just had to believe it. Paul was furthering that movement, this moment of change, this empowerment But it wasn't of himself or Barnabas. It was of God. And what was God empowering them with? The recognition, the full understanding, the full discernment. The Holy Spirit was in them even as it was within all of us. Even as it was within the Hebrew people who took a long time. Who got lost not only in the wilderness but generation after generation. And really then required Jesus the Christ to manifest that in the way that he did. That then on the day of Pentecost was the blessing unto the disciples who then would share that with preach the gospel unto the rest of the world. (laughs) Saul of Tarsus had to be one of those individuals that had to receive it in the fashion he did so that he could be at this moment the individual that was sharing it with the Gentiles. Is it any coincidence (laughs) That Saul was named Saul. That's a very rich Hebrew tradition that's attached to the name of Saul. (laughs) But so is then Mephibosheth. (laughs) And 
It's in 2 Samuel. The podcast is far too short. I can make it long. I lose listeners when I make it too long. To go and cross-reference it, maybe we'll go back and read from 2 Samuel. But to give you the abridged version of that, and with that, the cliff notes. Cliff notes, cliff notes, cliff notes, I think, of what that's all about. I will say this. Mephibosheth was... Jonathan's son of the house of Saul. And Mephibosheth, too, was lame. He wasn't from birth. It was an accident. But David, for the sake of Jonathan and his love for Jonathan, and really his love for Saul, Saul just did not receive it, even as the soon-to-be apostle Paul was remit in fully understanding the blessing. It's always about love. But for those who reject it, there's not going to be healing. (laughs) And maybe the infirmity, as with the apostle Paul and Saul on the road to Damascus, necessarily had to be blinded, such that he would then, in a very tangible, pragmatic way, be able to break the paradigm sufficiently to be able to understand, no, it's not with your human sight, not with your human understanding, not with your human intellect, but by divine inspiration I will lead you and unto not only an awareness of the Holy Spirit, but the distribution of my spirit, thus saith the Lord, in such a manner and way. Paul Saul, Saul, why do you push against the pricks? Jesus said that. Paul, don't push against the pricks. Understand, even as Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wants to. So is the Holy Spirit, and so it is to be born again. Not necessarily that you have to go through some conversion or even transfiguration, of the flesh in that imminent, immediate sort of dimension as with this individual that was healed by the Apostle Paul in Lyconia along with Barnabas, his sidekick. But it goes back to Mephibosheth. David loved Jonathan. David loved Saul. Saul rejected it. Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, become Apostle Paul, didn't. And then not rejecting it, not rejecting the message of Jesus Christ, that it's not a physical kingdom that we start with, King Solomon, it is, a, it is a spiritual one, not a material one, but a spiritual one. And it is built and predicated upon this message of love. But love is not relegated. Love is not contained. Love is not conditional. Love is not limited to a certain people. Love is the gift that God's given us all. He's given us his spirit. Love the Holy Spirit. And when you begin to operate in love, true healing takes place. 
Maybe it's just to get you through all the transfiguration, all the transitions, all the changes, all the things that go on in life that mold us and shape us, all the things that otherwise for some might be then so threatening they would resort to fight or flight mode. And then this kind of rigid thinking and then this sort of lying deception of the devil that only those that are blessed by God to have this privilege are the only one that's going to make it. No, it's for everyone. But the more you move in that direction of privilege, the more you move in the direction that somehow God has chosen only these select few based on his love for them more than others, you're moving to not only trouble, but the manifestation of disorder and disease. Because disorder and disease does not have to, again, be bad. Dying to self is not bad. Dying to that way of thinking is not bad. Dying to the paradigm that somehow you've got to be perfect in that judgmental sort of way is not bad. Don't give up on the, I guess, icon, Jesus, or the best that any human could be. Jesus, the Christ, Don't give up on the aspirational. Don't give up on fulfilling the Ten Commandments. Just don't let your fulfillment of the Ten Commandments cause you to give up on the two great commandments. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and then love others as you love yourself. But that should emanate most naturally and easily from you if you stop judging everything. Paul could not have performed the miracle in the manner that he did lest he not come to an awareness it can't be in judgment. Soon there would be, it's Acts 15, (laughs) the next chapter, a very pithy in the sense of basic and simple, but also very fiery, critical sort of discussion what do we do with all the Mosaic law? Well, it was already, the answer is already given. It's not a rhetorical question. It's already given. It all comes to Jesus. Be as much like Jesus as you can. Understand the heritage. Understand the failings and the shortcomings. Understand the importance of trying the hardest you could try to be the best you could be. But also recognizing grace and mercy and forgiveness is the only way to adaptively survive. Because once you get into fight or flight mode and you end up killing everything, you're going to end up killing everything. And I think we see that in our world today. We've just about destroyed all the ecosystem. We've just about destroyed all the environment. We've just about destroyed all the harmony, all the beauty that is God manifests what we call, more humanly have described or termed nature, to the point where we're evil creatures. We've blasphemed the Holy Ghost. We've decided to become quite not only defensive but aggressively so, killing everything that didn't look like at, uh, look like us, act like us, behave like us, and in that great passion 
for converting the world. If you don't do it our way, it's not godly. Well, there's some truth in that, but that was all to the revelation of what the godly way really is. It's Jesus. It's laying down your life for others. It's giving away, should you understand, it was not about the material blessing at any point along the way. Rather, it was so that you could be out of fight or flight mode enough that you could love others in the fullness thereof without it contaminating everything. Because once it kicks in, it's win or lose. That's not the way I believe Jesus was, or the Bible was, except to say the winner-loss standard has to be the Holy Spirit, and with that, in love, laying everything down for others. I'm going to finish the passage, going to verse 14. Again, chapter 14 of Acts. Which when the, apostle, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard... Of And what did they hear of? The priest of Jupiter, whose temple was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people because they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius and considered them highest order beings, gods. Going back to 14, which... Men, the apostles, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they tore their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And that's to the good even if you might want to see it as bad, no, the like passion is not only are we imperfect in material regards, just like you, we're mortal. We'll go the way of death. There's no way around it. You can try to high mind it. You can try to high order it out of your flesh. But unless you would see it in godly spiritual context, you would not understand. It's not in the material. It's in the spiritual. And then eternal life would be granted only in spiritual dimensions. And what is eternal? Love. The very thing of grace and mercy. The very thing of the highest order of the two great commandments. Don't throw out the Mosaic law. Allow it to be captured in ten commandments. And then realize the New Testament translation of that is what Jesus then calls the two great commandments. And it always ends in loving others as you've come to love yourself. But not by material standards of right or wrong. But by godly standards of love. Which then makes everything righteous. Sanctifies it all. Because what it means is we then are submitting to the godliness. The godly order. His directive as to what he wants to do with us. We're matter, we're clay that needs to be shaped and molded. We look for the best. We hope for the best. We aspire to the best. 
We believe the promise of God is to the best of not just us, but all of us, all of his creation. We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them. Paul was an ecologist. Paul was an environmentalist. Paul recognized, not for the religion that that represents or the nobility that seems to in virtue signaling capture, he knew. However, it was... To be explained in human terms, it was never going to be sufficient to really capture that only God knows. We just should not go around destroying things out of fear, out of fight or flight, out of survival of the fittest. Because in the end, all things, all knee will bow to Jesus. But in that, that model of laying down one's life so that God then could make whatever would be right, not for one, but for all. Caiaphas, it's better that one die than all perish. There's wisdom in that, but Caiaphas was not seeing it through the lens of generosity and grace and mercy and empowerment as Paul had come to it. He was still seeing it in terms of, well, let's just let this Jesus fellow go ahead and die so that we don't have to. That's Darwinian. That's science. That's the best humanism science is going to bring you to. Continuing. Who in times past allowed all nations to walk in their own ways? Which is what we're saying Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God blessed us all, false and the just and the unjust. Fortunately, God did not hold that against us. Because if he had, then he would not have been any better than the Hebrew paradigm. Did he give the Hebrews the Old Testament? Yes, but that was for their infancy and childishness, childhood filled full of childish thoughts. When they became a man, as in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Paul would say, they had to put away childish things. Continuing now with verse 18. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they, the people. Because they did. They had a hard time believing it all. That they had not done sacrifice unto them. But aren't we glad that they got the message? Aren't we glad that they did not persevere in their errant humanistic ways of thinking? Aren't we glad they too did not kind of say, we're glad we're on the right side, however we got here. 
Mephibosheth always had a place at the table. David guaranteed that. Not only for, I believe, Jonathan's sake, but even as David was not Jesus, the Christ, nonetheless, he was moving in that direction. And what was David really capturing the benevolence of God unto forgiveness. What was on the table, even as the Apostle Paul in verse 18, 17, was stating, it's all right there. But the difference between whether we receive it in the right order so that we then might further the kingdom of God or we receive it in selfish dimension and order, whether we partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, as with Satan, as with the humanistic, as with the carnal, as with the science, as with just left to empiricism, evolution, Darwin, or we instead understood it within godly context. Jesus, the tree of life. That speaks to not only our life, our being able to partake of the true fruit, which is love and share it, the true meal and blessing, which is godly love, the bread of life. Or (laughs) eat of that fruit that leads to death. Which will then sentence not only us, but everything we touch to bitterness and guile. That the evil one, (laughs) with that, the corruption of that divine spirit that represents or was represented as God's breath of life. That represents in that dimension God's breath of life. When Jesus breathed upon us again... We have it. We have it in us. Are you going to allow it to proceed from within you and bless the world? You can't if you keep it to yourself. You can't without risk of all those APA disorders. You can't without running the risk of malady, disease, and sickness. And with that, it's not that there is a sin, it is there is sin unto death. And what does that then really represent? It's the iniquity of our humanity that would then be rejecting of the message of Jesus. To love others, to give give one's life, lay down one's life for others. The Apostle Paul was demonstrating that. And this was a bit a priority to him doing that very thing, which again, for the sake of not losing too many listeners, because I ran way over again, we'll hold off until the next podcast. But some would say that Paul too, in only a few short verses, laid down his life for others in that same way Jesus did and was too resurrected from the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus, come out of the tomb. What does this have to do then with specialized pastoral care, Christian counseling? 
It has everything because I'm not going to put you back into bondage should you be at that moment of change and transformation and transfiguration. Should you represent a break from the normal, the iniquity of our humanity? Should you be at a point of not only looking at things as a child, thinking as a child, but now putting away those childish thoughts, beginning to fully comprehend? Should the scales be on your eyes, which is what's led you to see me, someone like me, seek that help? I want you to take the scales off your eyes. I'm going to remind you, no! This is not for evil. This is good. This will turn it around. Even should it have been considered for evil, God turns it around to good. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. What was considered for evil now becomes your greatest blessing. What was evil to the crucifixion of Christ is liberation and sanctification and salvation not only unto you but unto the world. You can't argue that premise. But should you, you'll just, you won't even stay where you are. You'll retreat. You'll regress. There's no adaptability in that. That doesn't lead to more life. That just leads to death. That's why the devil loves to promulgate any way he can that lie. But I'm not going to be a part of that. Should I even have studied and have qualification to conduct psychotherapy and psychological counseling and to do that in that counseling psychology sort of dimension of my doctorate? I'm only going to use that to help you understand the evil therein and really point to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God's promise of salvation and the love that is available unto you should you choose to believe and to share it with others. And even so, I would be privileged to love you as best I can in that same manner of way, not out of myself, but through the Holy Spirit that's alive in me. What's wrong with that? I ask rhetorically. And the answer is absolutely nothing. And you knew this all along. It's just so easy to get caught up in all of the rhetoric of Satan, the devil, and to lose sight of just that basic message. God is love. Should you be interested in receiving that kind of help, you can call us, 304-528-9220. You can find us at covenantsonline.com. You can email us at covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. You can join us on Facebook as well as YouTube at Covenants. And more or most importantly for the sake of what we're doing right now, you can join us again on our next edition when we drop the next podcast, as they say. Of what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry? 
with Dr. Michael David Clay. Until we get a chance to meet again, though, I think it's quite apropos for me to end with this thought in mind. I pray that you can receive the fullness of Jesus Christ and God's love unto you so that you might share it and bless the world with it in the same measure that you've received it. Until we get a chance to meet again, thanks.